Hello and welcome to We Lick Brushes. I am Tim. And I am Troy. And uh, we are two guys who love warhammery stuff and lick brushes apparently. What is that all about? I, why, why, does, why does one lick brushes? Why does one lick brushes? We're going to jump straight to that? I think so. Yeah, I think we that. really need to explain that in hindsight. All right. All right. Well, we lick brushes. It gets kind of a bad rap in some circles because I've, I've heard recently that apparently it's one of the ways that you can keep paint wet while you are doing the wet blending technique on a miniature, which I always assumed involved water. But no, there are some of you out there who are getting your brushes and with, with paint on them. So really? why do we lick brushes? <laughs> <laughs> that's not why uh, I like brushes. I just want to say it's not why I like brushes either. No, that's good. Um, it's once you've finished painting and you've rinsed the brush off, and there's no paint on it, and the water is clear. You lick the brush to bring it back to a point, and that's that's all I use it for. <laughs> and I think it, it pays to say most of the um, paint that we use in this hobby are non-toxic, and when ingested, do not in fact. Um, damage you in any way that I know of. Um, and I do mine to keep, yeah, to keep that, that tip nice and sharp, nice and in shape. And I think yeah. it's an important part of our hobby. Um, worth naming a podcast well, after. Yes. We don't just lick brushes, we love them. We love we love the brushes too. That that is important. Um, why why do we want to do a podcast? Um, I, we, we we did actually do an episode zero, if you want to go back and listen to it, people out there. Um, in it, we talked about most things except our names, um, which we have now rectified. <laughs> but but we, why, why do a podcast? That. I know. Shall I throw this out to you first? Maybe why? why, why? And the, the reason I'm going to be a big fan of this question, why? Um, and the, the reason why I'm a fan of why is because... I listened to another excellent podcast called Scribby and Wells by the wonderful Tyler Emerson, and he's a fan of this word. You know, it, it highlights the purpose of things. Why, why do we do things? So why do we want to do a podcast? Well, that's an incredibly deep question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the opportunity for, for doing your own podcast in this day and age is really to, to highlight something in a circle, either a community or a hobby or something that, Either you don't feel as really getting as much love as it could do, or you're just really excited to share with people. And I guess, you know, if we boil it down like that, that's what we're up to. We want to talk about the importance of the hobby to us, the, you know, the joy that it brings, the good stuff. And just to, to share some of the little bits, the tidbits and information that we come across and put that back out in the world, you know, record, amplify and uh, share in that. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we two, the two of us, are guys who have been in the hobby quite a while at this point. And we've got specific knowledges that can sometimes be interesting and sometimes even funny to specific demographics. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, no promises. I really want to put a disclaimer out there. Like We're not funny all the time, and we probably we just find ourselves funny. That's probably I'm, it. Well, my mum says I'm funny. Mine too. <gasps> Here we go. Something else we've got in common. Um, let's introduce ourselves a little bit. My name is Tim. I'm really big on AOS, Age of Sigma. Um, I've been playing Warhammer for a long time. I've got a blog called Tronhammer NZ. Um, I, over the last couple of years, I've been running tournaments. Um, I've, my paintings online somewhere, so you can see it. Uh, I've been doing this since I was five, essentially. Maybe we'll talk about getting started in the hobby shortly. Um, and I'm right into the lore. I love my, I love my Warhammer lore. How about you, Troy? Oh, man. Well, I'm Troy. <laughs> we might have covered that bit. Um, I'm on the flip side of things. I'm more into my 40k, you know, my guns and tanks and aliens. Uh, you might know me from a little YouTube channel by the name of How I Paint Things, which <gasps> you know, no I get a name, but at this point, <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, and there I share, you know, techniques and sort of the easy way to get reliable results on your miniatures on the table. Um, I think there's kind Fantastic. of a, You are kind a of a big deal. And it is, I just want to make it clear oh, to our no. listeners that it's your coattails we are all riding in on. No, no, no. 
<laughs> no, it's it's not a matter of coattails. It's just you know, it's cool to be doing something else and you know, making more things available to people because like you said, we might have some some knowledge, some old school techniques or something that could be of use to people out there. So eh, why not? Let's do it. Fantastic. And if you want to find out about how long Troy and I have known each other, you can check out episode zero where we where we go into that. Suffice it to say, um, we go way back, and um, very a large part of uh, yes, a large part of that relationship is is this hobby, which is really cool. Um, I thought because we're a cutting edge podcast, um, we should probably talk about all the latest and greatest that's coming out of um, the workshop. Um, we had the Blood and Glory tournament in uh, Derby on the weekend, and out of that, they made a whole bunch of releases. What were your thoughts about Very some of those cool. things that came out? Uh, I've been watching the Blackstone Fortress coverage with my beady little eyes. <laughs> um, mm. I wasn't sure what to make of it at first, if I'm honest, because there's been a lot of boxed games. There's been so many really good box games coming along. And on the one hand, some of them seem like they're an easy way to, you know, to promote some product and to get them into people's hands early. Whereas Blackstone Fortress, the more of it that I'm seeing, you know, I, I'm getting the real impression that this is something that can last a while. Uh, mm. That whole kind of Warhammer quest, but 40k? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. I am into that. Absolutely. And, and, Distinct from Space Hulk, I imagine, which is a very specific um, yeah. uh, focus, I guess. Quite different. Yeah. And I'm yeah, liking yeah. that they're taking the opportunity to sort of show uh, some miniatures and some design stuff from the universe, which just has no place anywhere else. You know, you don't, mm. you don't need a Navigator miniature, and rogue traders don't really make sense on the tabletop for you know, a game of 40k, but when you've got this really narrow focused uh, game where, you know, the plot sort of supports it, then you can do all this weird stuff, which mm, mm, looking forward to. I want to paint some toys. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you say, models that, you know, have no place in a scale battle, but have that personality that really tell the story of the of the world and the universe. And I, I really think... Um, uh, the Shadespire minis are going that direction too. Yes. Um, so many warbands for Shadespire. Now, ha- have you played Shadespire? Oh, yes. Oh, fantastic. I haven't played um, the uh, the Magic expansion yet, unfortunately, but um, no, Shadespire itself is a lot of fun. Yeah, me neither. I have the first four warbands, and I need to pick up the next four because they each, the sneakily, they've each got cards that, you know, go together really well in a competitive deck. And I'll have some tournaments next year, which I'll be doing. So, um, yeah, look forward to getting back into it. And I really like that I can paint a small number of models from different factions that I would never actually collect. Um, you know, orcs, for example, oryx. Um, I would never have an army of oryx, but I really enjoyed having a go at painting them and having four of them there. Yeah. That's a, that's a big draw for some of these games too, is, like you said, that ability to do something you would never touch ordinarily, but you're kind of curious, and you don't have to collect a whole army. Yeah, nice and easy. And we've got some, Age of Sigmar's got some new armies coming. We've got some Moon Clan Grots. Yes. Um, finally, some Destruction Love. Um, and despite all the end times naysayers, we've actually got a Slanesh release coming. And um, I must say, the models that we've seen, the Seekers, are certainly not um, sensitized in any way. As I the rumors might have Big worry. Everybody going, mm. oh no, they're going to censor my Slanesh for the kitty. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think they are, boys. No. Right. <laughs> oh well. Speaking of being wrong on the internet, um, let's continue with our with our topics. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's that's really cool. Yeah, I love that Warhammer 40k quest. That's that's a really cool. Cool addition. Um, but what have you been doing hobby-wise over the last little while? What's your hobby um, looked like? At the moment, I've got on my painting desk uh, so, so many Nighthaunt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went out, like, uh, my lovely wife and I, she plays Age of Sigmar as well, and she loves her Sacrosanct Chamber. Uh, so I've been getting regularly pummeled by that, and yeah. 
my reaction was to go out and get some more extremely dangerous but terrible ghosts. So I've just spent the, the weekend just spraying Corax white until I was sneezing it. Um, and with any luck, you know, I can break out the Nihilac Oxide and have a painted army in a couple of hours. Absolutely. Man, I've a uh, friend who I'm playtesting some games with at the moment. Um, we're talking list playtesting, not you know game design playtesting. Oh. Um, he he's been running a lot of Night Haunt as part of Legions of Nagash stuff, and um, it's been going down really well. Yeah, the, the, a lot of synergies you can bring in to that too. So you've just got so many options with death it's, at the moment. Yeah, it's really difficult sometimes on the table because you've got to bear in mind everything that each character does because, you know, say uh, this character gives that unit something, but then he's within range of another and, ah, Night Haunt, you're always, you're always overlapping everything. It, it gets a little little confusing on the table sometimes. Yeah, yeah, the, the not so much bookkeeping, it's like token keeping. you really got to be mindful yeah. of who's in range of what. Um, like I alluded to, I'm list testing at the moment. Um, I'm participating in and running the New Zealand Age of Sigma Masters this year and uh, first weekend Ooh. of December. Um, so as if I didn't have enough to do, I'm also playing in it. Um, so I've been testing a list, the one that I'm pretty happy with and helping my friend test. And yeah, coming up with a with a nice cheat sheet, what they call a cheat sheet, where I list everything that I need to remember during a game. And we're coming up with lists and theory hammering is one thing, but Getting a sense of how it works on the table is another. And I'm at the point now where I'm happy with my list. I just want to know how to play it properly, how I can get better at using it. Cool, man. You taking yeah. you and the gash along for that one? I'm going to um, – maybe we can cover it in another episode because the unless we hold out releasing this episode until after the lists are due, it's um, a lot of people oh, are still okay. doing the information gathering stage. <laughs> where, oh, what's he taking? What's this going to be in his list? So I won't go there, but it does relate. I can maybe say one or two things that are on my painting desk. Um, one is um, some more endless spells. Not that I'm taking ah. that many, but ones that I haven't painted yet, um, like the chronomatic cogs, which have been really fun to paint. Just lots of different metals. Um, yeah, it's, they're cool models, man. I really have a lot of fun painting those. There you have it. You know, anybody trying to get the drop on Tim? <laughs> yeah. Cogs. 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 Good luck. Um, what have you been able to play any games or just with just with your, your missus there? Uh yeah, because I mean we're lucky enough we've got the space in the living room and it's you know, Age of Sigmar in particular is so easy to just pick up a bunch of models and start playing. Mm. Um the local like our local scene unfortunately is a little more into 40k and, and what have you, and under normal circumstances, I'd be all about that, but, you know, looking for a little bit of variety, and the hobby love at the moment is definitely towards me, me spooks and ghosts, so, cool. lots of playing, lots of playing at home. Absolutely. Have you, do you read much of the, um, the awesome Black Library stuff? No, I've been meaning to. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I can, yeah. I'll recommend a few books to you because the Night Haunt in particular, um, I think that Soul Wars book by Josh Reynolds is a really great place to start if you're just coming in in the new edition. Ah. See, I've, I've yeah. seen a couple of the tie-in, you know, like the, the starter box books before and never been quite sure what to make of them. But it, yeah, Look, if it's, it's got good. Josh Reynolds' name on the cover, you, you, you're winning every time. That, that man brings a talent to the Black Library while – I think he's got to be credited for a lot of the the tone of of the of the setting as well. It's so good. He's got such a such a not. He comes across as some somehow a little bit you know in interviews and stuff a little bit blasé about it. It's like oh you know just writing for an IP, but man he throws seemingly offhand. He write he writes this amazing stuff. It's very engaging. It's some of the best that the Black Library's produced, I reckon, for for fantasy genre. Well, it's high praise. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it should be. I've read yeah. a few of his. He, he wrote the uh, – he came in during the end times and wrote some of those books, which were among the best that came out at that time, um, as well as a standalone Nagash novel from the Age of Chaos, which is even before the Age of Sigma. He wrote this amazing book. Um, maybe we can talk about that in another episode. 
Yeah, we'll we'll have to cover the Blake Library at some point because yeah. wow, what a phenomenon that has turned into. Absolutely, it's great. It's, it is great. It's good to see literacy flourishing like that. Yeah. What about what about non Warhammer stuff? What, is there anything that's really engaging you at the moment? Uh, well, there are a couple actually. There's um, there are a couple of Kickstarters out there. I've got my eyes on. The old uh, Crooked Dice with their 7TV, or is it TV7? I've got that mixed up in my head now. But they do a range <laughs> of sort of old television-inspired uh, miniatures, which is pretty cool. They've got a post-apocalyptic line coming, and a lot of the stretch goals have been hit by that. So you've got, you know, the the crew from V, if you remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, Mad Max-inspired stuff, uh, cultists and the like. It's really, really cool-looking. Uh, what's the name? I want to say Crooked Dice again, but I've just, those are the words that have just left my mouth. Okay, but that sounds really cool. It sounds like the sort of thing you can also add to the Warhammer universe for a particular look and feel, right? Is it the same scale? It is all the same scale. Cool. Um, like most of the stuff I'm into, I like my 28 millimeter heroic, you know, however you want to yeah. call it. But, um, no, I've got some 15 millimeter stuff on the painting table as well, but, that's probably not quite as exciting. <laughs> oh, that's neat. Um, I'm currently doing a an audiobook reread of the Dune series, um, which I need to stop myself here because I could expound on on Dune for quite a while. But you know, I read it once when I was a kid. Um, probably too young to get a lot of it. I re-listened to it as an audiobook quite recently, and now I'm just going through the whole thing again because I find I pick up so much more. Uh, with yeah. the audio medium on a second listening, so that's just great. What a what a series! What a visionary! Oh, plus there's a movie coming out. Ha! Huh. That's Is the other that? reason why. Denny Villeneuve, you know the guy who did Arrival and Sicario and yeah, yeah. Enemy and Prisoners, some great movies. He's directing the new Dune remake. Now that is something, and I, I could not, not be happier. That. that could be awesome. The guy, if you watch Arrival, just how he does that whole. Yeah, the growth in consciousness, which is so, such a big part of Dune, that internal um, awareness uh, with the jump backs and stuff. I, th- I think he's got to be the perfect pick for it. That could be really interesting. Yeah, I had no idea that was happening, and now I'm like, woo, super excited. <laughs> yeah, it'll be cool. Cool. All right. So, if um, there's nothing else you want to mention, shall we talk about what uh, what we're doing for our topic today? Yes. We talked a little bit in episode zero about, you know, getting started in the hobby that a lot of how you pitch your YouTube channel is, you know, you, you avoid your swear words and that kind of thing because you're aware that there's so many new people starting in the hobby. And I thought that might make for a really cool topic to start with as our first episode is how do you get started in, uh, in this, in this hobby, particularly the Warhammer hobby, but I guess that can translate to wargaming in general. And the question I wanted to start with again, thank you, Tyler Emerson, is why? Why would you want to start wargaming? What, what's in it? You know, that's so that's worth making it a big part of your time. Well, I, you know, the the easiest answer to that: why would you start wargaming? Is you hate money and you want to get rid of it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's such a multifaceted thing. Um, I think you know we we say quite regularly that. The actual gaming side of thing is a fraction of it. It's maybe 10, 15% of the time that you spend talking about and preparing for and, and building miniatures and all that. It all leads to this tiny tip of the iceberg where you play games and the rest of it is just this consuming passion, shall we say. It's, it's always something else to be thinking about. So whether you're into your Age of Sigma, Warhammer 40,000, or historical periods, it's an opportunity to, I guess, to research something. You know, even even in these fantastical settings, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy or what have you, there's always something else to uncover. And that can be a very satisfying experience, whether it's a lore thing that you're learning about, you know, something from a story or what have you, or if it's to discover some old technique that, you know, you've, you've picked it up on a 2005 thread on Board Game Geek or something, and you find that it works on the table. And it's, 
it's all these little ways of just satisfying that itch to want to be learning, I think. Absolutely. And I think depending on what game and what setting you're into, this answer might be different. Historicals, you know, for example, you're, you're wanting to recreate, you're wanting to explore history. Um, I think with our focus with, with fantasy, it's very much, um, you know, you've got that escapism side of it. Um, you know, you, you fully inhabit this fantasy universe and that's probably the, 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 the point of view I come from. It's the story side of it. You know, you've got this amazing lore, this amazing background. You get to make your own stories and own background with your own armies and then see them physically embodied on the table. And then you get to pour your passion and your, um, all the, all the paint techniques you've picked up and, and bring them to life. And the, I like nothing more than just looking at my models on a shelf, to be honest, and coming up with backstories than I do about gaming. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big part of what I enjoy about it. Um, you can go the other, the other route and, you know, you can, might come at it from a pure, uh, competitive point of view. Look at it as a, as a game first. Um, and, and the, the models as sort of tokens first, you know, for that game. And then the hobby is secondary to that, which is all perfectly valid. At the end of the day, that's what I like about events so much is we get these people from all these different focuses that come together and all roll dice together. And so you can also have that third social element where you're all um, experiencing it together. You know, it's, you're at that point where you're not in your room, you know, for 20 hours painting a model. You're actually sharing it. Um, but, yeah, but it's also nice because you can do that. If you want it to be a solitary thing, you can. Um, if you want to be a social thing, you can. And there's so many different ways you can enjoy it. Yeah. And when you, when you talk about, you know, the satisfaction you have in just looking at your stuff, you know, the, the hobby element, it is such a personal aspect to everybody's enjoyment because nobody, even if you, you paint your miniatures, say you're painting ultramarines, you know, the, the classic, how you paint them, they're still going to look different to somebody else's who's following exactly the same recipe. And mm-hmm. the army, once you've got it on the table, it is yours. Yep. It is nobody else's. It has your, your effort, your stories, just, it is an embodiment of your passion on the table. And that's, that's really rad to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I guess we can go, we'll just go into the next bit. How did you personally get started in the hobby? If we look at how we both got started, maybe that can help us, um, figure out where to go with advising others, how to, how to get into it. Hmm. Well, I, like, I got into it through, Kind of a weird method. Like, uh, I was 10 or 11 years old and I first picked up, it was a, they don't do these boxes anymore, but it was a Ravel World War II set that had a Churchill tank and a handful of British infantry in there. And you can't do very much with them. They were 172 plastic. They were no options or anything. But they just fired off this imagery in my head where I could see, like I had seen books about model train sets, for example, and you start seeing the ways that all this comes together to, to kind of tell your own stories, get that movie in your head. Mm. And it wasn't until a little bit later that actual uh, fantasy gaming and science fiction that I had realized existed. And that was through you. Indeed. Yes, I know. I think we can we can explore episode zero to find out more about that that first fateful game we had. Um, <laughs> yep. My journey had started long before then, and I think my route is what's generally become known as the standard for um, people my age, um, and that is with HeroQuest in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I think I was about five or so when that came out, and. You know, my parents bought it for me, not really knowing <laughs> what was what, what it was, was what was going to happen. Um, so that was a Milton Bradley take on, you know, the, a very simple version of the universe. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty cool game. It's sort of a precursor to the uh, Warhammer Quest stuff. Um, and I had Advanced Hero Quest after that when that came out, which was a, a more of a jigsaw puzzle, you know. Um, a dungeon generator type thing. And that had a white dwarf magazine in it. And, and that's how I discovered oh, no. the rest of it. <laughs> um, 
and then it only really resurfaced when I when I got to about that age, you know, ten or eleven, when I found a friendly local game store, and um, and saw the delights on the shelves, and uh, got sold an undead army book, fourth edition, I think it was at the time. Yeah, and the rest and is history. Yeah, and and what I hear a lot is that people sort of stop playing you know, during high school to go chase girls or whatever. I kind of think I was played throughout. <laughs> I think I just kept it hidden from from people who probably might have judged me differently. Um, but I, I kept going throughout. It, I really haven't stopped. It's a recurring thing. Um, you know, you hear about guys who sort of um, fall out of the hobby for whatever reason. And there's, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, but one of them that I'm hearing a lot recently and comes up on the YouTube channel a fair amount is older guys uh, who are coming back. You know, they've seen something that is kind of hyper-focused towards them, whether it be something like Blackstone Fortress or Kill Team or they've found out about um, Path to Glory campaigns you know, for Age of Sigma, and they, they have that eureka moment of, man, that was really fun. I liked playing with my toy soldiers. Why did I stop? Mm. And then they're, they're bringing all of this back into the, to the circle, you know, the hobby. And some of these guys have got kitties of their own who are now going, Hey, I want to play too. And that's the perfect yeah. excuse. Absolutely. I can, I can, aha. I'll just pop along to the, to the game store because little Johnny wants some space marines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think we've identified two routes into this we've got someone who's brand new to the to wargaming even or brand new to warhammer and then we've got people who are maybe haven't played it in years and years and years and are sort of starting to see the stuff appear online and are, and are curious again mm-hmm. um yeah, the, so, the awareness that the internet allows just is bonkers yeah absolutely so in terms of where we can start with if you're brand new to wargaming and you're interested, you've seen a couple of pictures online, where do you go next? Um, I think the first, your first port of call would be to check if there's a, 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 a games workshop or a, or a local hobby store in your town. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a pretty good, I mean, if, you're, if you've seen something you're interested in, then the local scene is kind of what you want to know about first. Uh, some of us are going to be very lucky to have you know, multiple, I say scenes, like different games and stuff that people play, uh, where even if you don't have as much support nearby as you might like, uh, the locals, you know, if they're in a store or just in a, a regular club that meets for some other reason, you know, you can find a lot of mixed interests that'll help you point in the right direction. Absolutely. The local gaming clubs as well, um, there's likely going to be one in your area. Um, in New Zealand, it's, it's, I can, I'm pretty sure most areas around the country have got good coverage. I imagine it's even more true in Europe. Um, and, and that besides you've, <laughs> you've got, you've got online communities as well. Um, with Age of Sigma, there's yeah. the grandalliance.com, I think it is, the forums, tga.community, sorry, my apologies. Um, uh, and that sort of replaced a lot of the, you know, older listeners might remember Warseer and, you know, some of the myriad individual army forums like Warhammer Empire and VampireCounts.com. I think, I think TGA.community sort of replaced a lot of those. Um, the Games Workshop website itself, Warhammer Community. I mean, they've just done so much with that recently to keep people up. That was a real surprise. Yeah. Um, it was a long period, I think. You know, some of the old hands will remember where the workshop just kind of retreated from the public sphere. And, you know, was it a, a misstep? I think we're starting to see, yeah, they could have done, they could have done a lot with the technology available and, you know, just the openness and what have you. But now they're coming back to that. They're, they're knocking it just regularly and it's, it's really good. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess. We mentioned it last, but it's probably the most important is um, the social medias, um, the, f- the Facebook and Twitter. Uh, if you're looking for any advice, you know you're, you're more likely to get more advice from from there. You've got such a massive pool of hobbyists with. Um, you're more likely to find someone with interests similar to your own to get advice from. Yeah. 
Um, and that, I think, is where you find your army-specific um, chat forums now, is, is, um, is the Facebook. Facebook groups and stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, which I guess touches on, you know, the myriad of choices you've got when you come into this Warhammer hobby. You've got a 40K versus Age of Sigma, and then within those you've got, are you doing skirmish-level kill team? Are you doing big tabletop, you know, big massive armies? Um, and then you've got the armies themselves, which of which there are heaps now. Um, so how do you Such go about? Yeah, story. how would you recommend going about picking? You're uh, navigating through a lot of these choices. Well, uh, I mean, I know there are a lot of people who come into it, and I'll I, I, I want to share like an anecdote from when I was working in the workshop. You would regularly have people coming in, and they'd seen uh, Space Marines somewhere. You know, Dawn of War was a really big driver through the doors when it came out. Mm-hmm. But one of the questions that would come up regularly was, what's the best army? Yeah. And this is one for which there is no answer. And I always, you know, I, I always kind of worried I was giving people a cop out when I was just saying, no, there is no best. What are you asking? Because that's going to drive your choice more than a, a really broad question like that. Mm-hmm. So. You, you've got to define for yourself, first of all, what you want out of your hobby. What do you want from this army that you're going to pick up, whether it's Age of Sigma, 40k, whatever. Are you looking to, to win games? You know, do you, do you want to play the game and to win and that's your angle? You want to be competitive? Well, then your Facebook groups, uh, forums and what have you, you know, chat to the locals. What's the current I, I'm going to kick myself for using the word, but what is the current meta? What's good? What's winning tournaments? What do I want to see on the table? And I think if you're but, chasing, if you're chasing the meta game like that, you also need to be aware that the meta game changes and what's really powerful now is not going to be powerful in six months time when new armies come out or the rules might get tweaked. Yeah, for real. And that's, that's why. When I think about starting, and what I would suggest personally, you're playing a game that is inherently visual. You know, everything from the dice that you rolled, you know, you're probably going to buy some custom or some, <laughs> some special dice at some point to your army itself. Everything reflects on what you like the look of. So as far as picking an army, my suggestion is just to, to scroll through as many photos as you can. Yeah. And then look at what is interesting to you because so many of the, the design cues and the, the styles and everything, they inform the character of the army. So if you, you know, you see something that stands out to you, chances are good you're going to like the stories behind it. And that's you know, another way to connect into these things. Yeah. I, I have another topic, a later topic in mind about how to um, enjoy your army, you know, into competitive uh, competitive gaming over the long term and a big part of that is just enjoying the models you've got and the stories they tell because you know as soon as you lose you need to have a way of enjoying the hobby beyond winning all the time um, another resource I'd, I'd point towards is um, AOS Shorts um, Dan there keeps a track of a lot of the winning lists from tournaments from around the world and if you are despite our warnings if you are looking to chase that metagame and start with a really competitive list just browse see what people are taking and i think you'll find that that no two competitive lists are the same um people adjust them based on their own play styles and what they think works so at the end of the day you are going to have to um find out what works for you so i agree with you though Troy. starting with the models and the story and what appeals to you is a really good place to start you don't want to be picking up a model that you think is going to help win your games, but you just hate painting the thing. Yeah. You know? Um, and the thing as well is, like you said, these, these rules, these standings, they change. So when your cream of the crop is not at the top anymore, are you going to sell your army every single time? It, you know, it's not the top performing. And that's, I know some people that do that, but that's not, for me personally, I, I want to keep what I've invested my time into. 
Absolutely, and you, 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 there's a there's a lot of pride in being that army who's been the underdog for so long, but you've stuck at it. And I can yeah, think of yeah. several local gamers who have really embodied that. Um, you know, it's just where the decision you make and just where you get your fun from. Um, yeah. Assuming you've made this this impossible choice as to which model range you're going for, and, and the, speaking for Age of Sigmar in particular, it's a lot easier. To do that, you've got these grand alliances which can pick and mix oh, from a yeah. massive variety of armies. Um, so if you're a, if you're an eclectic collector, you can cobble together armies based from all these disparate places. Um, assuming you've managed to pick that, how do you go about learning to play? Ooh, oh. now there's another <laughs> there's another question with a lot of answers. Um, <laughs> It goes, it goes straight back to what is your local scene like? Do you have a workshop? Do you have a, a friendly local game store or a club? Um, they're going to be your best resources because mm-hmm. the way to learn to play is to go and roll dice or, you know, throw things at one another and, and see what sticks because reading the rule books will give you the impression of how everything works and you'll know that, oh, this model moved five inches, blah, blah, blah. But it's a very different thing to, to have it happen in front of you. And that knowledge just sticks so much more naturally. Yeah. I, I think if, if the, the, if the, the coming of Age of Sigma, the first edition taught me anything, it's that you can't look at words on a page or even just one playthrough and, and understand how it all works together. And, um, you know, particularly with massive changes of rules or with rules that you're unfamiliar with, you really have to give it a few goes and, expect that you're going to get a lot of rules wrong to start with until you get used to them all because there's a lot to get your head around and that's okay as long as you're you know as long as you're able to um uh, use what you've got the knowledge that you've got to get a game done you look but you reflect on how it went you know oh we played this rule wrong next time i'll you know remember this Uh, that's fine too that's a massive part of learning you're not going to get it right first time Yeah, and I think as well what you mentioned about uh, massive changes in the rules or, you know, particularly with Age of Sigma, why? You know, a lot of the time, especially changing between codex versions or army books, and we say, oh, that rule changed, and it's not as good anymore, and oh my god, my army's broken. Why? <laughs> what yeah. is the underlying reason why the design team might have changed that? And you can't, you can't look at a single rule for anything in isolation. Correct. There's always a broader pattern. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and think of an example off the top of my head without taking up too much time. But I think the one that comes to mind is the Forge World Morngul, um, which started off with some really powerful rules, and they must have sold a truck ton of them when they first came out. But they underwent these <laughs> slow rules revisions where they um, they had to drop in power level a lot and then dropped in points a lot um, because they had these other rules that were coming which made them so much better with the keywords that related to them um yeah that, that synergized with them in ways that they didn't originally foresee um so you you have to understand that you know they might nerf your favorite unit even one that you might have spent a lot of money on or a lot of time painting but um yeah at the end of the day you don't even have to use those updated rules gosh if you've got a if you've got some a groups that are just happy to play the rules the way you want to play then that's fine I think we should yeah. mention that too. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about how easy it is to revise things in the days of you know everyone's connected, everyone's mm-hmm. online. You've got a phone, you've got the internet, and as a result, it's very simple to to sort of patch these things. But I'm also of the opinion that when these books come out, and, you know, you can just play out of them. You can play rules as written in the book that you bought. And if you're not going to a tournament, if you're not deeply concerned about what is, what, well, I guess what is fact at that point in time for the rules, it doesn't matter. You know, there are, there are four different versions of the, the way that commissars interact <laughs> with, <laughs> with their truth, you know, so, uh, do you just play with the book? Do you play with the most recently printed? Um, then in the case of Age of Sigma, you've also got your, your annual, General's Handbook or a chapter approved for 40k. So yep. 
always a question people say, oh, there's so many books that you need to play the game. And the, the short answer is no, you don't. I fully agree. It's all modular. You, you pick what's what works for you. Um, if you're going ultra competitive, then yes, you will have to become familiar with it all. But I'm starting to suspect that that's actually a smaller subset of players than than what competitive players might like to th- think they are. Um, I think I think most people are happy to play in their garage with what they've got access to. Um, in terms of other ways of learning the rules, Games Workshop have actually hired the talented Becca Scott to do some how to play videos, which are really cool. It's the first time they've done that. It's great. Such an easy way to, to really see it in practice, eh? Mm. But when somebody explains a rule to you, it's it's just words. It's very dry. But when they're pushing a model across the table or they're rolling dice and then telling you what those results mean, ah, it just falls together so much better. Yeah. All this is assuming that you've got someone to play with. But as we've mentioned, a large part of this hobby, at least for us, has been thinking about it, painting the models, getting the stories together. So if probably, probably the most daunting thing about this hobby is how do I get this lump of plastic that's on the sprue together and colourful um, to something that we're eventually going to be proud of? Um, yeah. Gosh, that's, a, that's another big question for you, Troy. How do you go about that's learning for the first time? If you can put yourself in a total beginner's shoes, what are your first steps? Um, I mean, we, like I said, we're lucky that we live in the age of the internet. Uh, the the breadth of information that's available out there, the the tutorials, whether it be video tutorials or uh, you know written stuff, there is so many resources available for where to start. Mm-hmm. Just go to Google and type in "How do I paint?" or "How do I start painting?" and you're going to find millions. Literally millions of answers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by coincidence, that is the focus of my channel. So if you're looking to, oh gosh, it's almost like you planned it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my, you know, my ethos is this should be simple and it should be easy to replicate. So if you're looking at methods that are going to get models on the table and look, hey, pretty cool, but without having to do 18 different things or, oh, this tutorial is really simple. All you do is you grab your airbrush, you know, <laughs> um, standard equipment. Oh, I love it. Like, I've got an airbrush. I, I own one and I use it and it's great. But it drives me up the wall when somebody says, oh, yeah, this really simple technique. You just get a $400 piece <laughs> of equipment and, hmm. Mm. But, yeah, starting starting is pretty simple. You know, in the age of the internet, we are blessed to have so much available at your fingertips. Absolutely, yes. Um, and you, you, I think we talked about in episode zero, you are the Bob Ross, I think, of uh, video tutorials for painting because you're focused on the just simple techniques. You, you start with one or two things that you can get a good result out of. Um, and trust me, I've, I've watched a lot of Bob Ross this week. He's actually, they've got a, a three-week uh, live stream of his entire back catalogue, and I've just I've just watched hours worth of it, and he's great. And I do find that analogy fitting. You can also go to Warhammer TV and see some very excellent tutorials there, and they normally cover the latest models that come out. Um, and if you get nothing from those, you might not have a video for the specific model that you're painting, but there will be one similar where you can pick up the techniques that you can use and translate and learn those skills. That is a big thing of what I'm trying to tackle too. And what I'm trying to impress on people is that, you know, I'm, let's say I'm painting an ultramarine and somebody asks, well, how would I paint a salamander? You know, different chapter of space marines. And the answer is I would paint it in exactly the same way. I'd just change the colors I was using. So these simple techniques are interchangeable. And that's, that's a big thing of getting started, I think. Yeah. Um, Games Workshop, because they're not silly, they have a whole bunch of um, learn-to-paint boxes available um, at a reasonable reasonable price. They've got some uh, magazines even that have a free model involved. Um, those are 
those, I mean, if you're brand new, those are some really good ways to start. You get one or two models, you get the paints included, some paintbrushes, some step-by-step guides, and that'll get you started. And that'll you'll know pretty soon whether it's something you really like doing or whether it's like, uh, no, I'm just going to go back and play my computer games or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of getting started doesn't cover, uh, that, you know, it might it might not appeal. There might be something in the hobby that is a barrier that you just don't grok. It doesn't fit with you for some reason. And that's okay. Uh, you know, we're lucky that we've got so many places to begin, so many smaller choices that you don't have to drop a thousand dollars and then decide, uh, maybe not, you know, <laughs> yeah, which is a bonus. That's right. Um, and there's, there's lots of different places to get models from as well. We talk a lot about Games Workshop because it's kind of our jam. And I think we're pretty unapologetic about that, but it's worth mentioning if you, if you're looking at cheap minis, um, you're like Reaper, Reaper mini, Rennies, uh, minis, R-E-A-P-E-R, um, have a massive selection mm-hmm. that people use for their Dungeons and Dragons, for example. You just want one-offs to paint. They're really cool. Yep. And there are a lot of, um, you know, particularly in the realm of historical miniatures, you will tend to find that they get sold in little groups, maybe three or four miniatures to, uh, you know, especially metal ones. But as far as plastic kits go, those are also pretty competitively priced. Like through Warlord Games, you can get a, a whole regiment or, uh, you know, of, of ancients, for example. So if you've got Romans or something on the brain, a box of those will see you right. Um, with their World War II Rangers, it's a whole platoon of infantry in a box. So, you know, getting started doesn't have to break the bank. That's right. Yeah. And, and, it, like, practice makes perfect. You, you might not be happy with your first attempts. And I've still got my first attempts from when I was five painting that Hero Quest set. You do get better. It's same as everything. Yeah. Still got them. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's like, you know, yep. what did old Bob Ross say? Anything you can practice, you can improve. And that's totally true. There are there are no mistakes. There are just happy accidents. Happy little accidents. Happy little accidents. Wait, happy little happy Yeah, that's it. We're just going <laughs> to add a happy little blood spatter on this on this chaos axe. Just a happy little spatter, blood. Oh, we don't need that. Okay, spatter. It's such an unpleasant word. Isn't sorry, it? <laughs> sorry. You've got you've got a couple of models. You've got some paint on them. Um, which is actually a lot further than some competitive gamers go, by the by. But now you might be ready oh, to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, need, I need to. Yeah. He's got he's got battle axes oh. on the brain now. He's off. He's off on a tear. It's the TO's curse. Sorry. You might be ready yeah. to to go to one of these events, and I'm not going to call them tournaments because there is a spectrum of events that you can go to. Some yeah, are very. Master, some, what's that? I said not all of them are tournaments now. No, I, I went to one in Auckland um, run by the wonderful Andy Long, um, which was story-based. And, you know, the winner was um, decided not by who was who was winning games, but, you know, by a very awesome story mechanic that he had built in. And it's it was a narrative tournament, which is fantastic. So you've got that kind of thing. But you can also, if you if this is what your focus is, you can go competitive. But the the, the big... Misconception I'd, I wanted to set right from the start is that I don't think there are any tournaments you go to where the people there are cutthroat, total eggheads to play against and try to make your life miserable. That has never been the case in Age of Sigma that I've seen so yeah. far. I mean, I've been very lucky too that when I've when I've dipped my toes in because. I would not call myself a competitive gamer by any means. And that's not because the the idea of winning games doesn't appeal, it's because I'm an idiot. So I'm never gonna <laughs> I'm never gonna compete at a level, you know, to, to win tournaments. But as far as just going and, and rolling dice against unusual uh opponents, and I don't mean like they're weird, I mean you just don't know these people. You've got a shared interest, you've probably got some interests outside of the game you're playing, you know, you're just meeting somebody yep. and playing a game. And there's a framework yep. for that and away you go. Yep. And it's fun. It is. Yep. And, it's you know, some, some people are in it to win it, but they will not um, do that. You know, they'll not play that way at the expense of um, uh, totally destroying your day for, for the most part. 
you know, I don't, that's a generalization. I'm sure it could happen, but in my experience, that's by no means the rule. Um, No, I think, I think the, the idea of the evil competitive player does get mythologized all out of proportion to, to how many of these people exist, you know, even competitive players are in it to enjoy the experience. And these games, they're a social contract. You know, you, you're not going to get far and play for long if you're going to be an ass. Yeah, right? yeah, you don't get invited back. <laughs> um, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, being afraid of not winning any games, I think you need to lose that um, that sort of mindset right off the bat. I think you go into these games seeing every game as another another opportunity to learn how your army works and what to do better next time. And if your expectations are there, and again, this is a topic for another podcast entirely, um, you're going to get so much more out of your events and, and keep improving. Um, and I, I, I guess it also depends on if you've got any events running in your local area. And if you don't, you might like to have a try at at organizing one yourself and it's actually not as big a deal as you might think and i've actually written a, a booklet on how to get started with tournament organizing which i'll try and publish shortly okay, that would be that would be something i definitely like to hear you know maybe using a topic for a whole podcast from you mm. because you've got some experience <laughs> a lot of experience and uh yeah i think that's a good idea and I didn't start with lots of experience. I started because there was no one around who wanted to run Age of Sigma tournaments. And so that, you know, I put my hand up. And if that yep. sounds like the situation you're in, then I would say stay tuned. Yeah. If something isn't there for you in your area, you can make it happen. So I think that's probably covered out some pretty basic ways of getting into the hobby if you're brand new. Um, other resources you might like to look at are um, like other podcasts like Garage Hammer. I've got a series on how to use those army deal box sets that Games Workshop have to, as a basis for starting an army, which are really cool. Um, and keep an eye on AOS Shorts. Again, he's got a lot of good info there. He's sort of made it his um, his mission to have as much useful content on there as possible um yeah it's so nice (laughs) it is a great site it's so it's so good having that come up in your search engines other than well other blog based things which quite don't quite have a such a positive um bent to them um and if you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about um i guess as a returning war gamer what's that troy I was just saying, you got the axe. <laughs> You're on a mission. Oh, I should have picked a corn army. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> if you're a returning Wargamer, if you haven't played Warhammer since 5th edition or something, and you're seeing some things now which are really um, piquing your interest, um, what is your road back in to the fold? Um, I, I am going to point straight away to Kill Team. Um, you know, it, 40k obviously being my thing, uh, and a lot of the returning players are talking about coming back to 40k. Kill Team is just an absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant method in, because it focuses so much on the, on the hobby aspect. You know, you have this small, hard-bitten gang of heroes, which, like it or not, do turn out to be the basis of a larger army, you know? <laughs> From such humble beginnings, mm. you can continue to build your collection. But because you have a model count that starts at like five and you can pad it out as much as you like, it's cheap, it plays quickly, uh, and the emphasis is on learning the basics of the rules. And Kill Team's basic rules are rooted in 8th edition 40k. So if you're coming back and you want to play something quick, and like I said, relatively cheap to get back into, there's where you can start. You're going to see the differences between what is happening now and what you might have played before. And then when you pick up more models, a larger army, the the basic concepts are going to be familiar. So that is 100%. If somebody's coming back to the hobby and they just want to dip their toes briefly, uh, Kill Team is, is the way, man. Just go for that straight away. 
What if these people have, you know, uh, their old metal minis from the 80s? You know, do they have to buy new models? Can they can they rock up with use what they've got and and finally get them out on the table again? There is, I t- first of all, yes, you can always be using your old models, uh, and there is, interestingly enough, a real a real appreciation uh, for the older stuff. I know there's a lot of guys that. You know, they, it, it's a classic. It harkens back. It's like classic cars. You know, we know that they are not as fuel efficient or what have you, but we love them because of how they look. Yeah. And, you know, there is, there's a lot of that that you see, especially on Twitter. Um, guys talking about old hammer mm-hmm. that there's these classic miniatures, which they stand up to this day or they've just painted them in the new style. So you've, if you've got a massive collection already, there is nothing that says you have to, to turf it all out and start again. You are you are welcome. You are encouraged to bring your old toys along. Yes. Uh, a similar situation in Age of Sigma. I played Paul Monk in Auckland the other day, and he had a real old-school um, undead army, you know, with all those old 4th edition and 3rd edition models, and I was just rubbing my hands with glee playing them. He had them all on round bases. It was just it was marvellous to see them. Um, that where Age of Sigma is different, I think, with this approach is I would not jump in on the skirmish level game. It's not well balanced at all. And, um, I think the better route is to jump straight into the main game at a lower points level. Um, I think there's, again, you can use your old army. They've, even models that have been discontinued, they still brought out rules for them. Now, you need to be aware that those rules do not stand up fully into the the modern metagame or how the rules work either. Um, there are rules, they just miss out on a lot of the, the benefits and the new stuff that the newer armies are getting if you're going to use those old models, but you can still use them. Um, so if that's what, if you, if that can be your, your stepping stone, that's fine. If you want to end there, you know, you use, that army and you don't want to buy any more models, you'll be able to, but you won't be able to use it as a cutting edge um, tournament army. I think as well, when you talk about getting started with Age of Sigma at an, at an army level, uh, you know, there's those start collecting boxes that the workshop puts together. They're actually really good for that. Mm. Um, New Zealand in particular has got this... Um, is, is going through a bit of a boost in, in new or returning players. Um, so most of the events around here are 1,000 point events, which are, which are fairly small. Um, sort of the standard is about 2,000. Um, so this is like a starter box or two and one or two more models added on will be enough to get going in some of these events. So the, the investment is, is less than you might think, especially if you're using, if you're very canny about your, your retail and where you're getting your models from. <laughs> yeah, true. Though. Yeah. Say no more. Say no more. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Uh, as far as getting mm. started? Or, yeah, the uh, whole topic in general. Um, no, I think we've, we have touched on pretty much everything, haven't mm. um, You know, 40K, it's easy to get lost in the spectacle of a large army on the table. And they can be quite daunting, whether you're coming back or you're getting started for the first time. Uh, I think you've got to remember that the models you see on the box are, you know, they're painted by professionals. The armies that you see arrayed for battle in battle reports and stuff like that, they are assembled without budget. Yeah. You know, um, you've got to, I don't, I don't say sort of, Set yourself realistic expectations. You know, you can dream big, but it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of realism and know that you are one person and you've got one person's resources and one person's talent. And what you're doing is going to be just to enjoy for yourself. Mm-hmm. You, know, you aren't trying to impress millions of hobbyists around the world. Just focus on what makes you happy. I'm pretty sure it was Confucius who said, you know, the army of a thousand soldiers begins with one sprue. And I think we need to take that to heart. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Was that Confucius? I'm, con- I'm Confucius. No, I don't 
Confused, sorry. You're very confused. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's knock that one on the head and we'll go away and um, listen to what we've done and get some feedback from anyone who's listened to this and come back with another topic another time. I've enjoyed it. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, this was a bit of fun. I reckon. I hope someone finds what we've said useful. Again, the internet's a wonderful place for supplementing our thoughts with other people's thoughts. Um, have you got any final thoughts to leave us with? Uh, space Marines are great. Okay. No, I haven't got any thoughts right. whatsoever. I try not to. Okay. Um, oh, there's something I've been considering. Um, you know, we do use this hobby as, you know, an escape a lot of the time. And when the world out there, you know, can seem, can seem rough and, and chaotic, um, you know, we can look to a hobby like this for advice and philosophy. And there was one philosopher in the old world in particular, um, who I think I'd like to share a piece of advice from. <clears throat> the dead do not squabble as the land, this land's rulers do. The dead do not fight one another. The dead have no desires, no petty jealousies or ambitions. A world of the dead is a world at peace. And I think that quote tells you all you need to know about, you know, this benevolent <laughs> ruler and, um, you know, I think he knows what's best for the mortal realms, ultimately. I think that, I think that tells you far more about you <laughs> than it does this benevolent <laughs> ruler, Mr. Tim. Fantastic. Um, we'll see you next time, Troy. I'll see you next time, Tim.